All right. Well, it is good to be here. That's for sure. Take your Bible, if you would, to the book of Luke, chapter 18. Luke, chapter 18. It's good to be back. And one thing hasn't changed, and that's the carpet in this church. You, you know I'm amazed by that. I, I just am amazed by it. All these years, I'm telling you, whatever now, uh, next year's the 40th anniversary of your church, so this carpet's like 37 or 38 years. Uh, it's unreal. I, I, boy, I'd like to try to get it from my house. I know that. But I don't know where they got it. That's, that's for sure. But I feel like Paul said to, to Barnabas, he said, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And that was what Paul said to Barnabas, and I feel the same way. It's a delight to be here and to see many familiar faces and new faces as well. That's always a joy. When you go to a church and there's no new faces, that's not a good sign. When you go to a church and there's new faces, that's a good sign. And so we're grateful for that for sure. Appreciate the music tonight, the offertory. And uh, just a delight to be here. I'm going to just take a few minutes. I didn't realize that uh, some of the emphasis this month is on uh, missions. So I thought because you support our church planning ministry, I'd take a, a few moments and just kind of give you a, a little bit of an update on that. Uh, our ministry is Church Planting America. By the way, we have some brochures out there that tell a little bit more about it. But currently we're working with uh, 17 men in 12 different states around, the, around this country and doing a lot out west. There's some incredible church planting going on, a great burden out there. Uh, every year I get to Oregon a couple times, Washington a couple times, California a couple of times, and uh, it's just exciting to, to see what, what God is doing. In fact, on my way up here, uh, I stopped at a church plant in South Carolina that we had helped start six and a half years ago. And that church has uh, bought eight and a half acres of property and built their first building, and in six and a half years, it's all debt-free. So um, now understand property there sells for a lot less than it would here, but nonetheless, that was a great accomplishment. And uh, I spoke there last Wednesday night on my way here, and uh, we had just a great, great time of fellowship. Uh, we, we have what we call National Church Planning Month each October. We receive uh, money from churches to help us help these churches buy land and, and build buildings and remodel buildings or whatever the case may be as far as the needs that they have. And that particular church that I mentioned in South Carolina, we helped them buy the first bit of land, the second bit of land, and then also to build that building. So it's exciting to go. I was there once before when the building was built. It was neat to go back, meet again, new, new faces. So that's exciting. But as I travel, people constantly ask me the question, why in the world do we need more churches in America? And I don't, I don't know if you haven't read the newspaper lately, America's not headed in the right direction. So uh, we don't need uh, fewer churches preaching the Word of God. We need more churches preaching the Word of God. That is for sure. And it's not competition church to church. It's a matter of um, complementing one another and doing what, what you can do in the church down the road that may be preaching the gospel. Praise the Lord for that. Um, thank God for that. But I, I like to point out to them that there are some reasons why we need churches in America beyond the obvious reason. The obvious reason is our country is in dire need of God and the Word of God. But in addition to that, let me just give you a little, a couple statistics that might kind of cement this in your mind. Uh, in 1920, there were 27 churches in the United States for every 10,000 Americans. By 1950, there were 17 churches. 
for every 10,000 Americans. By 1996, 10 churches for every 10,000 Americans. And today, roughly eight and a half churches for every 10,000 Americans. So as you can see, the number of churches per 10,000 Americans has decreased, which obviously leaves uh, a void and a need. The, the second statistic I would share with you is during the last decade, on average each year, 3,750 churches closed their doors. Out of business. 3,750 churches went out of business every year, on average, for the last decade. I'm asking God to let us get our hands on some of those buildings. And then, by the grace of God, get some fiery preachers in there that'll go out and um, plant new churches in those old buildings. It happened up outside of Buffalo, New York, and I won't take a long time on that story, but about seven years ago, that's exactly what happened. A church went out of business, gave the property to another church that was about an hour and 15 minutes away. And that church, you know, they couldn't do anything with it. It was just too far. But at the same time, God was working in the heart of a young man to want to go start a church in that very area. And so through a long process of connections, it all came together and they were able to get that building. And by the way, that building seats about 100 people, office space, Sunday school space, a gymnasium, and a parsonage with four bedrooms, all debt-free. And they got their hands on that. And today, that church, seven, eight years old, whatever it is now, uh, they are, they're supporting seven missionaries uh, for over $100 a month for each missionary. And the pastor's on full-time, and they're seeing people saved in a, in a small community. So it, it's exciting if, by the grace of God, we can see that happen uh, in other places as well. I could mention one in Ohio. In fact, I had a pastor in, in uh, New York call me and, and say that their church was able to purchase one of those buildings for next to nothing. And he said, I've got four families that'll go over there and birth this church. It's about 40 miles from where their church was. If you can just help us get a preacher, I've got four families in a building. So, I mean, my gracious, the, the, the need is incredible. And uh, thank God for those opportunities. But let me give you one last thought. You know, from the year 2000 to 2018, roughly a 19-year span, the population of the United States, if you take all the births, all the legal immigration, and then factor out all of the, the deaths, in that span of time, our country grew by 45 million Nine, 539,730 people. Now get that, over 45 and a half million people, which is greater than the population of Belgium, Greece, Sweden, Switzerland, Albania, and Iceland combined. So all of those countries were birthed, if you will, the size of those countries in that 19-year span in our nation. That's an incredible amount, 45 and a half million people. So even if in 2000 we had enough churches preaching the gospel, reaching people, we just added 45 and a half million people in, in two decades. So we have to do something. And uh, we're, we're passionate about that and excited about that. And you folks have uh, helped us with that and stood with us, and I appreciate that so much. In fact. As I mentioned earlier, there's a brochures out in the back, and that'll give you a little more information about our ministry. But I just want to thank you for your support and encourage you to uh, pray for us. Um, 
I, I told you before, in fact, um, the sound man back there joked with me about this, but um, my wife is going to ask me if I, if I said this to you, so I want to say it so when I get home I don't get in trouble. And here's what she said. She always says, when you put on your shoes, pray for the shoemakers. Okay? When you put on your shoes, pray for the shoemakers. Now, I'm going to call her tonight when the service is over, and she's going to say to me, she's not going to say hello, she's going to say, did you tell them? And I'm going to say, I told them. So please, if you'll remember that, uh, that'll be a, a blessing for us for sure. Uh, it's exciting to see uh, what God is doing in some of these new churches and um, the passion and the, the, the enthusiasm uh, that's there. So we appreciate that. Take your Bible, Luke chapter 18. Lady said to, preacher said to a lady, did you hear my last sermon? And she said, I sure hope so. <laughs> so I hope that's not your mindset when we're done tonight. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1 tonight says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end. Now, a parable was typically a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. When Jesus spoke in parables, he would take just some you know, just an object, just something. It may be a fig tree, and who knows. But he would take something and apply to it a spiritual application, a truth that would, that would help them understand. And he would use that as kind of an object lesson, if you will, uh, to convey that, that spiritual truth. So he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now the reality is I'm not even going to get into the parable. Uh, you can read the parable and think through the parable and draw a lot of truth and application from the parable, but I'm not even going to talk to you about the parable. I just want to talk to you about verse 1. Again, he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. I have often stated that nothing is talked about more and practiced less than prayer. I want you to ponder that. Talked about more, practice less. We make prayer lists, we sing songs about prayer, we, we have verses and, and, and little mottos that speak about prayer, but at the end of the day, I don't know that we, God's people, are praying passionately the way we ought to. It's an indictment, really. Power doesn't come from our giftedness. Power does not come from our intellect. Power does not come from our personal charisma. It doesn't come from our personality. It doesn't come from our education. All of those are helpful things. Power to live for Jesus Christ and reach a lost world comes from prayer. Amen. It comes from prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man brings forth much. Prayer. So nothing is talked about more in practice less. And yet prayer is the one thing that we really need. It's the one thing we need to do. It's interesting to me, if you'll hold your place here in chapter 18, flip back to Luke 11 for a moment. In Luke 11, the, the disciples understood this. I mean, they, they got it. They, they understood it. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying, Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciple." Now, here, here's, the, here's the reality. You can, you can read the entire New Testament. You can just saturate yourself in the Gospels. And there is absolutely no record that the disciples ever said that Jesus, teach us to preach. They didn't ask that. They didn't say, teach us to give, teach us to worship, teach us to soul win, teach us to heal. 
They didn't say that. What they said was, Lord, teach us to pray. You see, there was something, there was something about his prayer life that captivated them. And there's something about his prayer life that ought to captivate us. When we study the scriptures and, and we, we, we are immersed in, in, in the prayer life of Jesus Christ and the teaching of the scriptures about prayer, that ought to captivate us and motivate us to pray as we've never prayed before. I believe, as John Rice used to say, the famous evangelist, that when we get to heaven, there's going to be this big room up there with all these blessings that God wanted to give us, but we never asked him for it. We just never called out to him. What does the Bible say? You have not because you ask not. Prayer. It was Martin Luther who said, it is, as it is the business of the tailor to make clothes and the business of the cobbler to make shoes, it is the business of the Christian to pray. We kind of think that we have to pray so that we can do the Lord's work. I, I'm here to say prayer is the Lord's work. <laughs> I'm here to say that we, we, it's impossible for us to be effective in doing the Lord's work if we factor prayer out. It doesn't work. can't happen. And yet we try to go about this thing in such a mechanical way because we've been saved for X number of months or X number of years or X number of decades because we know certain scriptures, we kind of get on automatic pilot in our lives. And we just get the sense that, well, we've done it before, so we can do it again. And I don't mean prayer, I mean ministry. Be it teach a Sunday school class, be it preach a sermon, be it play the piano or sing a song or, or usher or work with children or help in the nursery or whatever it may be, disciple a new convert or lead a soul to Jesus Christ. We get the sense that we, we just kind of go on automatic pilot and we're not asking God for that, that, that power that comes of, available to us through prayer. Now go back, if you would, to chapter 18. I submit to you there's absolutely no substitute for prayer. God's people must pray. I want you to realize Jesus did not make recommendations. He did not make suggestions. He didn't say prayer is a good idea. He didn't say, you know, that would be a good thing if you would do that. No, he told us we need to pray. Notice the verse again. He spake a parable unto this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. I'll give you three reasons from this passage. Number one, because prayer is a sacred duty. It's a sacred duty. Notice that word ought. Men ought always to pray. Ought. The word ought is a word that expresses duty or obligation. On one hand, I would, I would submit to you that prayer is an incredible privilege. Amen? I mean, the fact that we can enter into the presence of God at any moment of the day and, and have God hear us is indeed a, a divine privilege. But in addition to that, it is a sacred duty. It is not just if we have time to do it. It's not just if we feel like doing it. It is something that we have to understand. It is an obligation for God's people to pray. And I think sometimes our Christian life is so dull and our churches are not activated because God's people are not really praying and bombarding the throne of heaven. It's a sacred duty. The word ought. That word ought to haunt us. 
You know, the scripture is filled with things that we ought to do. I, I think of Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. The Bible says that, that we ought to obey God rather than man. That, that's, that, that's an obligation. In a contest between people and God, we choose God. We ought to do that. And I like to say it this way. If you please God, it doesn't matter whom you displease. But if you displease God, it doesn't matter whom you please. It is just something we ought to do. We ought to obey God. I think of Romans 15.1. The Bible says we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. That's a good thing. There are, there are spiritually weak people. There are physically weak people. And, and, and emotionally weak people, and, and people are needy, and, and the Bible is saying we ought to bear those infirmities. We ought to come alongside of those people and minister to them and help them and encourage them. We ought to do that. I mean, if somebody gets the headache, we ought to be taking the aspirin. I mean, we, we're, we're there to weep when they weep and rejoice when they rejoice. It's not, it's not a, a choice. It's not a recommendation. We ought to do that. We have a spiritual obligation to do that. I think of 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. The Bible says we ought to love one another. Wow, that's a big one for Christians. I, I can't even imagine how many churches have divided and split over the most minor issues. I'm not talking about splitting because of a doctrinal issue, some heresy that invades a congregation. I'm talking about the color of carpet. And you got this, like it or not. I mean, little things that just kind of tear a congregation apart. I'm wondering, where is the love for one another? Where is it? I've been asked, churches that I've had relationships with for a while... I've been asked to go back, and, and they would call it moderate a church business meeting. I call it referee. Because on this side, we got people that are not talking to people on this side, and these people aren't talking to these people. There's a few compromisers in the middle. They don't know what to do. Are you kidding me? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, Jesus said, if you love one another. I mean... We don't show the world that we're disciples of Jesus because we own a big Bible. Or we go to the church house. And we're supposed to do those things. I get that. Those are fine. But, but Christ said it himself. By this, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's the sign. That's the indication. And how in the world do we expect people to come into a church that is full of bickering and fighting and division. And by the way, those kinds of churches are everywhere. It's sad. Keep unity. Keep unity. It is something we ought to do. Prayer is something we ought to do. It is prayer that can save a soul. It is prayer that can produce a revival. It is prayer that can change a life, heal a body, solve a problem. Unify a church. That's prayer. Now we're to pray because of three things. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, because of the expectation of the Father. I want you to understand that God expects us to pray. In Jeremiah 33.3, 3, call unto me and I will answer thee. 
show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. That word mighty is an interesting Hebrew word. It really isn't, we, we, we tend to think of mighty in the sense of it being, you know, some big thing or some, you know, really extravagant or powerful thing. The, the word actually has the meaning or the idea of a secret thing. God wants to show us things that we don't know. Things that we're unaware of. Things that God wants to do in us, through us, for his glory, that he'll never do if we don't spend time in prayer. There is an expectation. God just expects us to pray. Can you imagine birthing a child and having no conversation with that child? Think about it. You have children. Do you go through life never, never hearing them talk with you? I had daughters. It wasn't a problem, believe me. Well, you put a nickel and you get $10 worth. Mercy. And if that wasn't bad enough, I got four granddaughters. Ooh. Two teenagers and then two younger sisters that are preschoolers. Identical twin girls. My son-in-law is a pastor. When the little twins came along, they outgrew the house, so he sold his house, and guess what? He didn't have a place to move, so guess what? He moved in with us. I mean, the older teenagers, you know, I could handle the babies, the little ones. Oh, my gracious. They'd make a cup of coffee nervous. I, one of them, they were, I thought it was going to be a six-week ordeal. It turned into a seven-month ordeal. Seven months. One of them got sick, had a balloon that said, get well soon. I changed it to get out soon. <laughs> Are you kidding me? But can you imagine having children that would never talk to you? What do you think God thinks when we go through the day and never spend a minute talking to him? Oh, by the way, when there's a crisis, we, we know his number. Right? When we have a need, we know his number. And, and he wants us to call upon him then. But here's what God wants. God doesn't want us to seek his hand. God wants us to seek his face. See, we, we tend to seek his hand. God, I need this. I want this. God, do this. What God is saying is, hey, don't love me not for what I do, but love me for who I am. Love me for who I am. I think many Christians are guilty of what I call God bless me anyhow prayers. God bless me anyhow prayers are this. Lord, I'm going to do what I want to do, but I want you to bless me anyhow. I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. I'll be, you know, I'll go to church occasionally, and I'll tip the, you know, tip you, Lord, when the offering plate comes by. But bless me anyhow. No, God's not into that. So there's an expectation of the Father. The second thing, there's an example of the Son. So the expectation of God the Father, the example of God the Son. I'm not going to take you to John 17, but I challenge you to read John 17. It is the it is the Lord's prayer. What we call the Lord's prayer is a model prayer. That's a beautiful prayer. He's teaching us how to pray. But John 17, it comprises 26 verses of Jesus actually communing with his Father. It's a beautiful prayer. Powerful. So Jesus set the example, and we're to follow in his steps. Amen? The Bible says we're to walk as he walked. The Bible says we're to be conformed to his image. So if Jesus prayed, we need to pray. But then thirdly, there's the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize, and hold your place in Luke 18, but turn quickly to the book of Romans chapter 8. 
Do you realize the Holy Spirit is given to us for many reasons, one of which is to help us pray. One of the reasons why we're indwelt by the Spirit and hopefully filled with the Spirit is because we need help when we pray. We see it in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also help with our infirmities. Why? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself make an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So what does that mean? It means that sometimes we are so incredibly burdened for something. We are so confused in our mind. Sometimes we don't even know how to word the prayer. We don't even know how to communicate with God. The burden is just so great. It's so real. It's so pressing. And, and what happens is the Holy Spirit just kind of takes over. And he communicates to his Father what's in our heart. The infirmity is that we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. The infirmity is we don't have the strength, we don't have the wisdom, we don't have that, that, that complete knowledge, but, but God does. And so, yes, as we go back to Luke 18, yes, there is a, a sacred duty. The Father expects it. Jesus gave us the example, and the Holy Spirit's there to encourage us. But let me look at verse, chapter 18, verse 1, one more time, and I'll look at another word. We looked at the word ought, but notice this. We need, to prayer, we need to pray because prayer is a constant need. Notice what it says. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always, there's that word, not just ought to pray, but ought always to pray. Always. Now, when you think about that word, I'm reminded of what Paul said. Pray without ceasing. In other words, live a life of prayer. Live a life. Not, not just, you know, this one little cubicle of your life. Most of us spend time with the Lord, maybe in the morning, maybe in the evening, maybe during the day. We carve out some time. We have what we call devotions or, or quiet time or personal worship. And that's good and that's appropriate. But you know what? Prayer is something we, it, 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 it's always with us. Amen. It's, it's not just this 20-minute deal at, at that beginning of the day. You know, Always, I think, refers to time. Every time is a good time. When you study the life of Jesus, you find that he prayed in the morning. He prayed in the day. He prayed at night. He just prayed. Any time's a good time to pray. When we're at the church house, that's a good time to pray. When you're driving in traffic, that's really a good time to pray. I preached in Baltimore on Sunday. I don't know what the weather was like here, but I'm telling you, it was raining like crazy. I preached and was taught and preached the morning service, hopped in the car, and then had to drive up into north of Philadelphia for the evening service. It was raining so hard, the traffic was so bad. You talk about prayer. I was close to the Lord. <laughs> My wife always is close to the Lord when I drive. <laughs> we've been married in August. It was 46 years, and the, we've, we, we don't, of course, we've never fought. We just have, our, we have discussions. We're, we're so spiritual, we're beyond fighting. We're just, we just discuss. And uh, the one thing we discuss more than anything else is my driving. And she, her prayer life is really enhanced. I mean, I, I'll tell you that. But always, not just refers to time, always refers to circumstances. You know, we, as I said earlier, when, when, we're, you know, when we're in the valley of life, we pray, amen? When there's a crisis, we pray. When the child is sick, we pray. 
When we've lost our job, we pray. We pray when we face those difficult seasons in life, and, and we should. But you know what? We ought to learn to pray on the mountaintop. When everything's good, when nobody's sick, everybody's working, the weather's nice, the car runs, you don't have to go to the dentist. I mean, you're, you're all those good things. You pray. Always. When times are tough, sure. And by the way, times will be tough. The Bible says that. Don't, don't, don't reject your Christianity just because times get tough. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. <laughs> but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. Our God is able. He didn't go broke last Friday. God's able. But sometimes when the rain begins to fall, you know, we get frustrated. Why is this happening to me? Well, why, why not you? It happens to all of us. All of us. And then sometimes when we get into those seasons, prayer becomes the last resort. We talk to everybody else we know. We do everything else we know to do. And when nobody has the answer and everything else fails, then we, you know, it's kind of like an alarm goes off and we all of a sudden we realize, oh, maybe God can help us. God could have helped us from the beginning. We just, we have to learn to do that. He's not the last resort, he's the first resort. Prayer is a constant need. We, we don't go through a day but what we need to pray. Again, need to pray. We ought always to pray. When you understand the life of Jesus, you find that Jesus intersected prayer in virtually everything he did. He talked to his father. I mentioned John uh, 17 a few moments ago, the Lord's Prayer, but boy, he prayed so many other times. He prayed for direction in his life, which, which city to go to and where to minister. We see that in the, the book of Mark chapter 1. He prayed uh, when he was depleted, when he was tired, when he was wore out. And, and what a rigorous life Jesus lived while on this earth. People were constantly coming up to him and making demands and asking things and needing to be healed and, and, and all of that. And, of course, you didn't hop in an air-conditioned car to go from point A to point B. I mean, you walked. It was laborious. It was challenging. And that humanity of Christ. He was weary. He was tired. And the Bible tells us he refreshed himself in the presence of God the Father. We see that in Luke chapter 5 for sure. And then he prayed, obviously, before he made decisions. A great example of that is in Luke chapter 6 when he looked out among all the disciples and chose those 12 to be his apostles. But before he selected those people, he, he talked to his father. And so that's a, that's a great lesson for us. If we just think of those three thoughts, how, how that we need to pray um, when we're weary. We need, to, we need to pray when we're making decisions. We need to pray and get a hold of God. If there's anything that a church needs, I'll tell you what it is, it's prayer. It's, it's, not, a, you know, it's not a bigger membership or greater offerings or new buildings. We want those things, and sometimes we would say we need those things. But they pale in comparison to effectual, fervent prayer. And I'm convinced if God's people, the church, and by the way, the church is not a building. Church is not an organization. It's not some legal entity. The church at its core is a group of born-again, baptized believers that are committed to the Word of God. 
I want to see people come to Christ. When, when a church is focused on this thing called prayer, all of those other needs that we believe we have, the Lord will be aware of that. He's there. My, that one of those little twins that I mentioned earlier has a tumor in her leg. And my daughter and son-in-law took her to a children's hospital in Jacksonville, Florida, where they reside. And they couldn't quite figure it out. Um, all they could tell was this is a tumor that doesn't manifest itself typically in girls, and it manifests itself in boys that are older than 10. So they were puzzled, didn't know how to treat it, what to do about it. So then they went to Mayo Clinic, and Mayo Clinic came with the same results. Finally ended up at the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. And that doctor really understood it, but there was an insurance issue because they reside in Florida, and Philadelphia is a long way, and there was a challenge with that. But he had two doctors that had worked underneath him at the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia and gave my daughter and son-in-law the information, and they went down there. Today she had an MRI in her leg um, trying to get this tumor handled the way it should be handled. At any rate, I remember saying to my daughter, even this morning, God loves that child more than you do. Now, that's, that's hard for a mother sometimes to even hear because, wow, that mother's love really takes off. But God loves us. He loves us so much. And there is not a burden or a struggle or an issue that we're facing in our life that God, he cares about all of it. There's not an issue that a church faces. But what God cares about that, why would we neglect? Why would we walk away from the one thing that God tells us to do when we're facing some of those struggles in life? Now, verse 1, let me give you one more thought. We need to pray because it's a sacred duty. We ought. We need to pray because it's a constant need, always. But thirdly, we need to pray because prayer is a practical necessity. Notice what the verse says, one more word. And it came, and, and he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to, here's the word, faint. Not to faint. Notice that word, faint. Now, when we see that word faint in this context, it's, it's, it doesn't mean we're going to fall over physically. You know, people sometimes faint. I, I, did a, I did a wedding. It was a big wedding as a pastor. And, I mean, we had, you know, a string of the bride and her entourage and the groom and his entourage. And uh, we're in this service, and, buddy, one of, one of those guys went down. I mean, he hit hard. I mean, he had already bounced off the floor. So everybody's just like, oh, what do we do? And I said to the other guys, haul them out. So they grabbed them legs and arms and hauled them out. And what are we going to do? I mean, we got to get rid of them. we got to go on with this thing. So they hauled the guy out and took him to the hospital. And he, he, was, I mean, he was really sick. I mean, whatever it was. He was obviously pushing hard to be at the wedding. No one knew it. And he just, that was all he could take. Down he went. That's not what he's talking about here. Not that kind of fainting. You say, what does he mean? Here's what it means. It means to lose heart. It means to grow weary. It means to fall out. It means to give up. The point being this, the antidote to all of the struggles and disappointments and heartaches and pressures of life, the antidote is prayer. That's, that's the antidote. When my grandchildren turn 10, I take them on a trip with me for a week, just the two of us. I want that relationship to be instilled into their life. 
And we always wrap it around something, somewhere where I'm going to teach or preach, at least for a portion of that week, but then we'd have a lot of fun. Well, this one granddaughter, who's now 14, was 10. Oh, my gracious. Whew. I mean, she was powerful. I mean, I, I got done with her, and, I, and her mother said as the trip was over, she said, well, how did it go with Michaela? I said, she is the antidote for insomnia. I mean, I fell into that bed. Just fell into that bed. I was so tired. I was so weary just dealing with her all day long. Well, guess what? Prayer is the antidote to everything life throws at you. Everything. I believe we could start over here and go through this section and this section and this section and this section. And I really believe all of us could stand up and, and, and tell some struggle, some burden. Either we're in the middle of it, we just came out of it, or by the way, good news, we're going to go into it. What's the antidote? What, 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 what's going to cause us to not lose heart, to give up, to grow weary? It's prayer. Prayer is a practical necessity. Life can be tough at times. Disappointments, we know that. Trials, temptations. Job said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's not an encouraging verse. But it's in the Bible. Job 14.1, I mean, it's real. And let me tell you this, life can be tough, but church life can be tough. It can be. You know, we have responsibilities. And some of the people you deal with are not really angels. They're not always sweet. They're not all filled with the Spirit. Some have the spiritual gift to criticize. I mean, it can be tough when you deal with people. But you know what? God is still on the throne. He hears, he answers our prayer. He loves you, he loves your family more than you could possibly love them. Someone said this, pray when you feel like it. That's pretty easy. There's days I pop up, I feel like it. It's no big deal. I, lo I love it. I, I feel like it. Pray when you don't feel like it. I'm embarrassed to tell you, but there are days I don't feel like it. I'm tired, frustrated. But then thirdly, pray in order to feel like it. And I've learned on days that I don't feel like it, if I just start praying, I'm, I'm, about, you know, I'm about two minutes into it, and all of a sudden, I feel like it. This is good. I'm talking to God. And boy, all of those cares just kind of evaporate. They just like those little bubbles, you know. They just burst and go away. Why? Because God is there. It is a sacred duty. It is a constant need. And it certainly is a practical necessity. Songwriter said, and I'm not going to sing. When I sing, the angels weep. It's bad. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return. Sweet hour of prayer. Amen. So tonight, I challenge you. Let's pray like we mean it. Like we really mean it. 
Let's call upon the Lord. We ought to do it. We ought to do it. He'll bless us if we do. Let's pray. God, thank you for allowing me to be here with this wonderful church family. I just thank you, God, for loving us so much that you have invited us into your presence. We don't even have to make an appointment, Lord. We can just show up. And we can just, we can just start talking. We don't have to have the right formula and the right words, and we don't have to make it flowery. We just we have to just share our heart, and you're there. You're there to hear us. You're there to listen. So, Lord, help us to cry out to you, to really learn to cry out on the mountain, in the valley. It's something we ought to do. It's a necessity. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.